Black. It moves with power. It moves with fear. It sounds of thunder and lightning appears. Black is natural. We all know the truth. It ruled this world once till the day it was due. When light goes away and black comes astray, the moments of justice when black is on its way. He fears no man, nor heaven or hell. Black is a curse, a blessing and spell. It cannot be. Black does not speak. It moves with rhythm and harmony in its feet. It demolishes and destroys while making no noise, or it shouts out in him with hope in its voice. To be black is proud, or to be black is ashamed. To black there is no feeling, but it always feels pain. To be abused or neglected, or unjustified and rejected, black always pr prospers above and will always stand erected. Distance from the moon, or miles from the sun, when black flees from the stars, it bursts like a gun. It cries in the dark, but happy in the light, black never casts a shadow until reflected in the light. When death has arrived, black will be worn, but black was there in the beginning, before you were born. It's not white and innocent, it's not pristine and pure, but black will always be around, forever to endure. Hello and welcome to Dig Deep. As we introduced in the last episode, this podcast is in partnership with Uncut on the Hill and Dig. Uncut is a student-led and athlete-driven digital journalism platform for student-athletes to share their stories. Dig is the diversity and inclusion group on campus. It was formed to allow athletes of all identities to feel welcome. With this podcast, we want to blend the two organizations and dig deep into each respective athlete's story in its truest form. We're your hosts. I'm Freeman Brew. And I'm Issa Contreras. And let's dig deep. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, would you be able to just start off by talking about your journey to Denison and what it was like getting here and playing football and just a little bit of background on yourself? For me, um, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, my parents were uh, born and raised both in Cleveland. I have family all in Cleveland, Akron, Columbus, Cincinnati, you know, spread all throughout Ohio. And um, when I was two, we moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and I lived there pretty much my whole life uh, between Charlotte and South Carolina. I live in South Carolina now. And um, kind of senior year, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was applying to colleges. Um, wasn't really heavily being recruited um, until I was just like one day I was like, I'll just start applying to D3 schools. And um, Coach Mannering, he's no longer here. He's at DePaul. But he reached out to me and was like, hey, you want to come play for the Denson Big Red? At that point, it was down between them and a school named St. John's in Minnesota. And when I went on my visit here, it just felt like home. Um, knowing I had that family influence and that there's always family going to be around. So then you just decided, like, yeah, I want to play football in college? or Senior year, you know, you kind of are in that phase of, like, I'm just having fun. I had come to terms with, okay, if I walk away from the game now, I'm okay with that. I can be a regular student. But um, kind of as it progressed into the spring, I was like, you know, I need that structure. Um, I want something to do. Um, it was really good for my mental health, just, like, being active. And I was like, I feel like I can still contribute to some degree. Like, um, I didn't have the senior season that I wanted. It wasn't as productive as I had hoped. So not fully coming to grasp, like, I'm done. Like, this is it. So um, that's kind of how I ventured into wanting to be recruited, uh, wanting to play football and at any level. And you play safety, right? Yeah. Okay. I um I came here as a corner. It was very physical, loved it. Things happen, uh, injuries happen, and uh, the coaches felt I would be a great impact at safety. 
Um, learned a lot this year under Ryan Hallinan, Anthony Rooney, uh, really great guys. They kind of taught me a little bit more about the position, how to be comfortable. Um, I remember this year was my first year actually like playing a full season of safety, and I just learned a lot. Has, has anything changed? You said the coach I recruited, Coach Manningham, right? Manning, yeah. Manning. You said he left. Has it been like weird that he's not here like to watch you finish out your years? When he announced it to us uh, heading into, I want to say, sophomore year, it's like during that COVID year, um, he kind of pulled the defense together because um, he recruited a lot of players here, um, pretty much all of us, the whole defense. And uh, for him, it was a personal decision. Uh, it wasn't anything like, oh, screw the Big Red or I don't like it here at Denison. He had family um, in DePaul. He's from Indiana. He had roots there. Um, I, he was having a child. Um, so just having that parents, you know, take care of the baby, stuff like that. So there was no, like, hostility. Um, we all respected his decision. Um, it was weird, you know, seeing him on the opposite sideline this year at DePaul. Um, there's some bitterness to it. Um, they really gave it to us. They handed us that L uh, during the game. Um so it kind of created a rivalry. I know another coach, Coach uh, Espinosa, recently just became one of their OCs. So it's going to be a really intense game this upcoming year. Um, we're excited about it. We're ready to accept the challenge. With that COVID year, I know you guys played a game and a half and practiced all year round. Um, how was your experience with that, just practicing all day every day, going against the same guys every day? I'm not going to lie. It was it was draining um, for me. Um, it was very taxing on the mind and the body. Um, a lot of injuries. Uh, I know for me, when my body gets beat up, so does my mind. My mind tends to take damage as well. And I felt like it wasn't just me. It was a lot of the guys. We were just so drained and exhausted because it's like we're practicing like it's a season, but for what? Like we're not having a season. Um, the hours and intensity were still the same. We we're still out there giving it our all every day. Um, it was the first time I'd had, like, a severe injury, like, my shoulder came out. So um, just, like, adjusting to that, um, especially doing that in the fall and then hopping right back in the spring, not having that break that you're normally accustomed to. Uh, just football year-round, I realized that I wasn't really built for that, <laughs> that I thought I was. Like, everybody's just like, oh, you got to love football, you got to love football. And I realized, like, I love football, but to a certain extent – I know COVID was pretty intense for everybody. Everybody had different experiences. Everybody um, went through different things. I know for me, it was pretty rough. Um, it's still not completely over, um, but you know we've come a long way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think honestly anybody's built for their sport year round. Like, I will say for us, for like we got really lucky because we could play a few exhibition games in the spring. But like, yeah, like we also just worked out and the whole year I know like we didn't end season till was it April like late April which exactly. is so like awkward and then yeah. you guys were still like in season it was just yeah. so weird no one was like playing I mean except us but like we played what four games yeah. but yeah exactly. like battling against the same people over it just got repetitive and then it's kind of like you get bored yeah what am tired. I doing yeah that's it's a long time to be in pads I'll tell you that like yeah. pads year round is it's not it for me, yeah. but and you guys were going super hard too, cause like oh that yeah, was wild. Oh yeah, it was. It it became really. I know our coaches kept repeating like you gotta want it, you gotta love football to be here, and like we're, they appreciate our efforts. But I know like when uh, we had our exit meetings, like I kind of expressed with my coach, um, you know, 
at certain points during this year, I was just out of it. I just wasn't here. And, like, I apologized, but I also was being authentic. So I wasn't down on myself. Um, I just kind of, our coaches are pretty open to feedback and how we handle things. And uh, I think he really appreciated uh, me sharing that and how the team felt. Yeah. I think one thing that we found as a common theme is, like, your sport should be an outlet, but when you do it so much, like, especially in that COVID year and you're not seeing some of those results that you want, like you said, you end up being drained. Like, how can you find an outlet for your outlet or how has that experience so shifted when the thing that is your outlet is now your stressor? What I do uh, personally for me is I don't let it consume me anymore. Um, I know being a black man, kind of you're assigned that athletic identity. Um, and so my upbringing, I was always around sports. Not It wasn't my parents' intention for me to be an athlete. You know, They just happened to have sports center on. And I found basketball was my first love, actually. Like I loved basketball. I loved LeBron James. Um, Can't say I agree with you on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, everybody has their favorites. But um, my whole life, I played a bunch of sports, football, baseball, basketball, ran track, soccer, tried everything. And so just like... As soon as it got to middle school and high school, it was like, okay, that's what I love to do. Like, you see Carl, he, where is he? He's playing a sport. He loves, like, working out, stuff like that. Um, I know. Then high school, you know, it's another level. You're training pretty much year-round again. Um, like, when when it's not football season, you know, you're lifting weights. You're preparing for the off-season or um, you're running track so I could get faster for football. So just my identity was always being an athlete and – not until junior year, it's like, okay, now what am I going to do for college? What do I want to do in life? Like, you, you start asking those questions, you don't necessarily have to know. And that's when it becomes that stressor because you're just like, who am I? Like, off the field. And, like, I was having a lot of trouble with who I was. Um, just not being comfortable in my own skin. Um, the thoughts of not being great enough, not being good enough, what am I doing wrong? When you don't get those results, as you you stated, um, injuries, battling injuries, a lot on the mental health. And so it became a lot for me where to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be here anymore. What I found out is that there's other avenues that I could take um, and exploring myself uh, just a lot of time, you know, in my mind, thinking about what else I could be. That's how I picked up poetry. I've always been a writer. I'm always enjoyed writing stories, um, poems. Uh, I started writing poetry, you know, I was talking to my therapist and she's just like, oh yeah, like your thoughts are very like expressive. Like you're, you're deep, you're a deep thinker. And I realized I could use those skills to find something that wasn't physical because I know like lifting weights, that was also my passion. Like that was also like, okay, like if I don't have football, and I'm really drained from football, like, I could, I could lift, but then became, like, okay, I'm lifting for football. I'm not lifting for me. So just um, finding different avenues, um, finding hobbies, and that's just exploring yourself, um, taking time on yourself. A lot of people don't take that time that they need to reflect on who they are and self-care, which I feel like is a very good thing for an athlete to have. It's how you become a different level of athlete because you know what works for you, who you are, and so you can't let people tell you who you are and define you one thing you said a lot um was that you're like during COVID year your coaches told you like oh you're here like you love football like, when did you realize like all right like my mental health's not great because I'm still here um I realized it about 
towards the end of fall and then the beginning of spring season. Uh, towards the end of fall, I was pretty beat up. We were still practicing till late at night, uh, still having intense practices, long practices. Uh, and just seeing my teammates around me, you know, we're kind of fed up at this point because we're just like, okay, like we've had so many full practices, like what are we doing this for? And then our coach saying not like not exactly knowing what's what's coming in the future. So then right around spring ball, it felt like we had no break because we got there and it's like, all right, we're back to pads. We're preparing for Case Western, we're preparing for OU. So it's just like having that as well as that's when I made that transition in positions. So I was going to be backing up two talented uh, safeties, Hallinan and Rooney. And uh, just knowing like I wasn't going to ever really progress to be a starter by my junior year, which is what I had hoped for when I came here. So just that's when I was like, I don't really love football like that. That was a lot of my mental health because, as I said, like I had always identified as an athlete. Like I was always, I always wanted to be the best athlete. Um, that was my main goal in life. And when it just wasn't, when I realized that wasn't realistic or that wasn't necessarily the case, and there's so much going on around me, Black Lives Matter, you know, COVID, just a lot happened over that summer and leading up into that school year. So my mind was just elsewhere. As an athlete, you want to compete. Like, you're sick of practice. Like, nobody likes practice. Everybody loves the games. So when you take away the games and that aspect of I'm trying to be my best in front of all these people or I'm trying to beat them, it's just like now your your main goal is to beat yourself. And sometimes that can be taxing because beating yourself is, takes, is a long process. Like, you don't always instantly improve. And so... When it came to beating myself every day, I just I wasn't really satisfied with that, and I I started slowing down in my progress, and I just, it it just hindered my ability to just want to be out there. One thing I found now being a few months removed from it is, like I've hopped in club basketball, and it's like the most fun basketball because there's oh, yeah. no expectations for yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's in the sport, you constantly are in the mindset of I have to get better, I have to get better, I have to improve, exactly. and when you don't see those results then your whole identity is wrapped up in something you can't control. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's that's when like some of the depression and some of the really tough times come is because you're so wrapped in your identity of I'm an athlete, but that takes getting better. And when you can't see the results of getting better, then it's just a downward spiral. Yeah, exactly. And like organized sports, it restricts you in some way. You can't be your full self. You can always express yourself on the court, uh, the way you play is the way you express. But just kind of that unorganized feeling of just like, oh, I'm out here. There's no stressor. It's just me being me. It's playing with for fun. Like, and sometimes in organized, you know, college athletics, it, it cannot be fun um, at, at times. Um, and so just being able to express yourself in that kind of way as a athlete who's so accustomed to intense games, you know, everything means something where you're just, you know, relaxing, you're playing ball, and it doesn't mean anything is really good for the body and the soul. Going back on something you said, um, you talked about how you're in therapy and you spoke to your therapist. I feel like as black men especially, there's this stigma around therapy and around expressing yourself and around, like, actually being able to say, I have a problem and I need help. And like when you push those feelings down so deep, like you'll never actually address them. Would you be able to talk about your journey with therapy and and how you were able to get past that stigma of, especially in the black culture of that we don't need therapy? For me, it took me a while to realize that I needed help. Um, 
starting, I think, around sophomore year, uh, kind of being diagnosed with it early in the summer and going into junior year, uh, I was transferring schools, just a lot going on, a lot on my plate, um, things at home. And so being a black man, you know, you're taught to be tough. My dad's like, you know, we're tough. Um, you got to be a man. You hear that all the time. Um, I always was proud of, like, my parents, like, they've been through so much. And they, to me, they were always, you know, moving forward. They they never, you know, wore their hearts on their sleeve. Um, sometimes they'd express it, but it's kind of like a sense of weakness. And I felt that by letting people know that I wasn't okay, I was weak. And it just came to a point where I just wasn't myself. Um, I wasn't in a great state. Um, I was lost a lot of weight, so um, I was very I was sick all the time. I got mono, just battling a bunch of health conditions. And I remember the doctors just like, "Hey, you know, you have depression and anxiety." Like, and I kind of like shrugged it off. Like, I got in the car, and my mom's like, "Okay, like here's your paperwork," and I was like, "I don't have that." You know what I mean? And so, I like that's early too. Like, you know, when you're a 16 year old kid, you're not. That's not what you want to hear from the oh, doctor. sophomore high school. Yeah, sophomore high oh, school. Yeah, yeah it's, okay. it's been a minute. Yeah, and so, like, I, it's not something that you want to hear. Um, so I just kind of tried to toughen it out, be like, oh, no, I'm just, you know, sad at this time. Like, it's whatever. And then um, it's just, like, waking up at night, not being able to sleep more than two hours, waking up with this, like, anger, this, like, frustration that I couldn't seem like I'd wake up and I'd be shaking and my dad would... I'd go to my dad or my mom, and they would just sit there with me and, like, help me breathe through it because I was just so frustrated. Like, why can't I sleep? Why can't I? All of these questions I'm asking myself, my mind's always racing. And so it came to a point where they were just like, all right, like, you need help. And at that point, I was just like, I do. And when it first started out, uh, you know, first therapy appointment, it's always awkward. I'm just like, I don't want to be here. Um, but as I started talking through my thoughts, what I was observing in the world, how, was, how I was observing myself through like the third person view, how was I, I was observing others and kind of my, what's triggered it, um, you know, deaths in the family, um, moving locations, just, just a lot of things that build up over time that I never seemed to quite get over. Um, it was great just like hearing her feedback on like, it was okay to not be okay. It's okay to not accept things and handle things differently. There's no time frame for recovery. Just knowing that and accepting that athletes and men, black men, it's okay to have that sign of weakness. I went to predominantly white school. I was the only black kid. So I always felt, I was never like really singled out, but I always felt singled out. I always felt like I, I couldn't fit in with the black kids because I had a lot of white friends. I felt like I couldn't always fit in with my white friends because I don't look like them. Like I don't really act like them. And so, like, I always felt like I was weak there. So to have another, you know, symptom of weakness, it just, I, I didn't really want to accept it. Now I understand that depression and anxiety isn't just, like, a, a linear battle. You know, you're not just going to go up and stay up. You're, there's going to be ups and downs. Things are going to happen in life. And it's okay to have different outlets. I know I talk to um, Trish, our athletic training staff, um, different professors. Uh, I have different friends, outlets, like... Letting people know around me um, who know me as a person and know my energies and, like, who I am, like, when I'm okay and when I'm not okay, it's kind of easy to see now. And I'm more active about it. I tell people, like, especially when I see people on campus who aren't doing okay, like, I let them know, like, hey, I've been there. And I'm not afraid to share my journey. Like, I'm not afraid of the stigma anymore. I feel like 
it's part of who I am. It's a part of my growth. Um, and it's okay for you to, you know, express yourself. Like, you know, as you see, I got earrings on. I have tattoos on my body, you know. I'm not afraid to be who I am and, like, express who I am and the things that have made me and molded me, whether they be good or bad. So uh, just letting people know that you're there for them, um, I feel like is important in this world, um, especially on this campus. I know we've had a lot of tragedies and uh, unfortunate things happen here. So uh, kind of with everybody's support, you know, I know there's Mission 34, there's this podcast uh, to help athletes like express those thoughts that they are afraid to get out or just not comfortable sharing. Uh, being able to have a platform and an outlet for that is really nice. I can't even imagine at 16, like being told, like I know back at home, you know, mental health wasn't a big thing. It wasn't until I came to college, people started talking about it freely and openly and that's what you said at 16 like you felt it was a weakness when did you get over that like mountain of realizing like wait it's okay like I can actually tell people about this and then by sharing my journey maybe it'll help them on theirs I listen to a lot of XXX Tentacion. I listen to a lot <laughs> of Trippy Red you know and I'm just like whoa these guys are like going through it and like I was relating to that and I was like how am I relating like and then I was, like, reflecting over my life. I was like, wow, like, I have this pain that I've never expressed. Like, I haven't been able to. And so, like, knowing that there's people going through similar pain or having pain uh, kind of made me, first, it, it brought me to a dark place. But then um, I remember at one point I had to do an outpatient program. Pretty much inpatient, you're in the hospital. You're being taken care of. Whereas, like, outpatient, you are going to, like, a facility from, like, you know, 9 to 5 p.m. or something like that. And you go there every day, and they help you, and then you go home. So um, it was set up through my doctors and my school that I would be, I think I missed, like, maybe a month or so. I would go to, I would drive down to Charlotte, and none of my teammates knew this because I, I was new at the school. So, like, you know, I'd come back and for practice because I told them, like, you know, football, it's my outlet. Like, I need it. So I'd come back for practice, and they'd be like, oh, where were you? And I'd be like, oh, I didn't go to class. I never let people know because I, I was still battling with myself. Like, I can't let people know that I'm down. I can't Wait, let people go back. know. You switched, you switched high schools, like, in the middle of high school? Yeah, right? I switched. So after my sophomore year, um, heading into junior year, uh, I transferred to Indian Land. Uh, it's right on the border of Charlotte. Um, my mom had taught at Cuthbertson uh, for a while. And, uh, you know, it was just time for a change. Uh, my family, we had lived in South Carolina, but I had always been to, like, Cuthbertson in North Carolina schools. And so, like, all my friends were there. So shifting to a, a whole nother, like, venue, like, especially at that time, you know, puberty, you're going through changes, you, you're establishing your friends and, like, memories. So just, like, leaving all that all behind where I felt like I had nobody so just that was kind of tough for me to adjust to, and I, that kind of started that that downhill, that decline. While I was at Indian Land, um, having you know having to make new friends, uh, my teammates were very nice guys, very good guys. Uh, but just I kind of blocked everybody out because you know you're the new kid, you don't you don't want to you know venture out. I, I was I it was partly my doing of not wanting to isolate myself from others and. Uh, when that outpatient program helped me develop a sense of understanding of wanting to make relationships, having being comfortable in my own skin, being comfortable around others, 
Um, I really didn't even participate that as much as I like thought I would. Um, I didn't talk the whole time. Uh, I think I was there for, what did I say, a month, so maybe three to four weeks. Um, and I never like spoke a word. Like people were, people would share their stories. And I'd just sit and I'd observe because, as I said before, I'm just a very observant person. And my like last day, I was like, "This is why I'm here." And I remember the whole class, just like I think it's like eight to ten people. They're just very emotional. The teacher got emotional, and um, they're just proud of me for sharing because that was the first time I'd openly shared. Like, this is why I am the way I am, and like. I'm going to be okay. And so that's kind of when at the finishing of or the conclusion of that program, um, that's kind of where I became okay with, okay, this is who I am. And I came back to school and, you know, things got a little bit better. Uh, You know, as I said, it it wasn't just linear, but I feel like that's kind of when I progressed into being, being able to share, being comfortable and not seeing it as a weakness as much as a part of who I am. What is a couple of things that you would say like that are self-care for you in that same sense? Uh, self-care for me is, um, you know, taking the time to sit down and just reflect, like whether that be, you don't even have to sit down, whether that be like, I know I spent a lot of time outside because I was such a recluse in my room and I knew if, you know, it's, it's dark and cold in my room because, you know, I get hot. So like having that environment, I was like, okay, this isn't healthy to be up in here like you know 12 15 hours of the day so like walking outside um spending time with my siblings like I know uh for a portion of like my battle I I just it's there's just probably this gap where I don't even like remember anything I don't even remember like I didn't associate with anybody like whether it be my parents my siblings so like I feel like I missed a portion of their life because I just wasn't present for so long and so like being appreciative of my family around me, my friends around me, um, having that social support, um, and then focusing on myself. I felt like at times I was so consumed in others um, and not myself. So taking that time to be like, all right, what do I want to work on? What do I want to improve? Because like I was so negative with myself. I was like, okay, I can be negative, but like if I'm just going to keep declining and keep being negative on myself and neglecting myself like I'm just gonna end up at the bottom of the abyss so I was like I gotta you know reach out so um climb my way through it uh weightlifting helped me a lot um because as I as I built my body I built my confidence um I built that self-esteem that I needed um I started gaining weight because I learned I lost a lot of weight because I wasn't eating I wasn't sleeping so kind of having that routine having a schedule for yourself uh just engaging in healthy habits you know I had high school I'm not afraid I was drinking I was smoking you know doing other things I wasn't supposed to um because I was so down on myself like I just I didn't know how to cope and just finding health healthy coping mechanisms like writing like lifting exercising or eating healthy or just coming up with a schedule for yourself to improve like having that self-care so So when when did you get into poetry then it's funny because I don't even know like the timeline like I know like my mom like when she started reading some of my poems like in high school she's like oh look this is what you wrote in middle school and I like she showed me a poem and it was so like dark and like depressing I was like wow like 
this is how I felt in sixth grade. Like, it was about, like, being alone or just, like, nobody. And I was like, when did I write this? Like, I just yeah. had no clue, what, like, where that came from. And she's like, yeah, it's my handwriting. I feel like I've always had that element in me. I've always loved music. I've always loved, you know, rap, R&B, you know, different genres of music. And I feel like that just played a heavy influence in my life. I know, like, when I was, like, four... I would be in, you know, my aunt and uncle's house, and I was like, I want to be a rapper, because uh, I have a cousin, uh, Brian, um, he's a producer, a uh, rapper, um, he's always been involved in music, and I feel like that was kind of one of my influences, you know, I saw him, I was like, oh, I want to be a rapper too, so I feel like, you know, you just say things, they rhyme, and that just kind of turned me into who I am as a poet, um, as well as being observant, when you observe things, when you talk less, you notice more, and so I feel like, I was noticing so much and I didn't know how to get it out, like whether they be good, bad, I just didn't know how to express it and I felt like that was consuming me as a person. It was so much in my head that just like writing it out, whether it rhymed, whether it didn't, whether it flowed, which it just so happened to, like that was my avenue and I guess that's how I became a poet. Do you rap at all too on the side? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I got me a little SoundCloud, you know. But um, you want to shout it out? <laughs> I will. I want a spade creator. Yeah. Just, just remember the name. Um, I've helped. Uh, I've been on songs with uh, Eric King of Dinkra, who's, who's on his campus. Um, that kind of also started in high school. Um, as I was writing poems, I was like, "Wow, I could put some of these music." And um, as I said, like I listened to X, I listened to J Cole. You know, the baby was starting to come out, and I was just like. I can really do this rapping thing. Like, you know, I, I got some flow. Um, and it was also very help, healthy for me. Um, just picking up a new hobby. I was kind of doing it for fun. I wasn't trying to really make it and rap or anything. I was going to college. Like, I knew, like, that I was going to school. I had, like, a, a vision. So I was just like, oh, you know, it's it's summer or spring. And, you know, I got nothing to do. Like, high school is pretty much over at that point. You know, I all my grades are fine and I'm... I'm accepted to a university so I was like what do I do now like other than work out like you work out for two hours then what do you do with the rest of your day and so that's when I like started picking up music and I, I realized I had some flow I realized I I have a gift for just expressing myself in different genres whether that be music or poetry in uh in wrapping things up we often like to ask a few questions short answers just Hit it with as fast as you can. So who is your favorite rapper or artist? Drake or J. Cole. Okay. Yep. Those are the guys. They got they got a flow. They got a knack for music and creating music in different avenues. Not just, you know, trap rap. Not just like... They can hit several genres and their music is timeless. So. What's your go-to song right now? Wicked Witch by Nardo Wick. That is my... <laughs> That's my anthem right now. Like I love it. It 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 plays in my head like twenty four seven. Sometimes people will like see me. I'm just like mumbling that song. Like what'd you say? I'm like nothing. I'm a wicked witch. So what's your go to pregame and postgame meals? Pregame, I'm not gonna lie, it's not healthy. Like I know on Fridays for walkthroughs, uh, I just like to go get McDonald's. Like that's like it's like a cheat meal for me. Like and people are just like that's not you know ideal. But I'm like McDonald's or like something quick, you know, just I like it. I don't know why my body adjusts to it. So that's my and then post game, I could eat anything, honestly. Like you're so hungry, you're so like drained. I like I like a burger, a steak, you know, some some sort of um, protein and then, you know, a carb to just like get through. 
And then favorite athlete right now. My favorite athlete right now. Uh, would it, it still have to? It'd be either Odo Beckham Jr. or LeBron James. Um, Odo Beckham Jr. Just because when I was going through that time in my life where I wasn't confident, him expressing himself and people were judging him like, how could this guy be like so expressive? He's just blonde hair. I had blonde hair in high school. Like I was emulating him because I was like, here's a guy who doesn't care what people think. Here's a guy who's you know he's great. He's a great athlete, but he's also like this dude like you know what I mean and uh then LeBron just because of what he does on and off the court um from Akron from Ohio and so just like seeing how he carries himself and what he's done for the community around him uh just his philanthropy work and his greatness on the court I know a lot of people don't agree with that but I just think like sometimes it goes beyond your sport on what makes you a great athlete especially when you're dominant at that level and off the floor so then lastly, if you could tell yourself or somebody, 16-year-old you, one thing that they should do in order to get help, what would it be? See the end. Like, see see your way through. Like, there is an and There is a way to the light again. Um, you're not always going to be in the dark forever. And, you know, talk to your parents. Like, I, I know that's a cheesy thing to say, but a lot of people aren't very comfortable talking to their parents when something is wrong because you feel like you'll get in trouble or you feel like, you know, they won't accept it. And just, like, talk to them. Like, they love you, um, even your siblings, if you're not comfortable. Like, and I don't think 16-year-old me was focused on that. 16-year-old me was like, I got to find a friend or somebody or just, like, I'm just going to keep it in my head. And so just I tell my 16-year-old self, you know, be okay with your family. Like, talk to them. Thank you so much, Carl, for joining us today and sharing your story. Something we can take away from Carl is that mental health is a constant struggle. It's not a linear battle, and when you wrap your identity too deep into something like your sport, it becomes really difficult. It's important to have outlets to express yourself, like music or, for Carl's case, rapping. We want to give a special thanks to our producer and editor, Gigi George, and to our uncut team, Kate Hinshaw, Sunny Fireman, Sophie Tide, Dulcie Hayes, Abigail Hanno, Drew Dawkins, Will Hunter, Jack Niemenschein, and Anna Ortiz. Once again, we're your hosts. I'm Issa. And I'm Freeman. We hope this podcast inspires you, and always remember to dig deep.